Gudra's Overseer. Four colorless, double black creature, land bar flying whenever a land is to the battlefield under your control. Drive a motorcycle away. <laughs> screwed over today because of that. And technology. So, I think that we're, we got a little Commander Cast connection there. It's tenuous. Tenuous at best. Hello everyone, and welcome to Commander Cast, episode 231. For your weekly source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mtghast.com and our home site, commandcast.com. We're recording this on January 14th. I'm your host, so, William. I am well aware of our technical difficulties going on right now. Well. Yes, Calvin. Uh, just a notation. You say 231? Oh, it is 232. Yeah, yeah. I've got to change that part of the show notes. <coughs> okay, just making sure. Because, um, like, I understand that this is the episode where we talk about time travel and stuff, but I really don't want to have to go back and redo episode 31. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, I would love to talk about my, like, Boros Phoenix deck again. I would gladly repost episode 231 again this week, but I'm pretty sure our listeners would be pretty fucking pissed if we had to sit through another hour and a half of the same thing they just listened to a week ago. I don't know. I was kind. Of, I was listening to our intro last weekend, and as mad as that made me then, it was kind of fun to just rewatch to re-listen to. Again. Again. All right. So. And again. All right. So join me as always is my perennial co-host Calvin, aka Captain Red Zone, and Clay, the Commander Panda. How are you guys doing? Pretty well. Uh, I'm doing all right. So I guess I'm gonna have to use some editing magic to like fix that then, huh? That may have been my fault, because I was going to see if Skype would continue even if my tablet was in sleep mode, and apparently it does not. It just disconnects immediately, and apparently it Damn. kills William's connection, too. Well, what kind no, of... It's not, not, even, not even a William connection. I'm talking about the fact that he did the intro for a totally different show, and he hasn't really? actually, like, done the intro for 232. No, ah. I do Or maybe I've already so done it. So, so I'm kind of waiting for him to say 232 in a manner in which I can at least edit so I could take the fuck-up he did and attempt to try to make something nice for it the episode today, but if we're not doing that, you know, I don't ha- that's fine. We can keep moving. Hey. hey, everybody, my name is Calvin. I'm also with Captain Redstone on the internet. Apparently, we're just messing up all over here. We can't start the new year off without messing up a bunch of intros. Two weeks off just breaks William's mind in, like, pieces. Uh, let's see here. Anything new that's going on this week with me? Not really. I opened up a pack. I opened up another pack of Battle for Zendikar this week. Let's see what I have. I have the pack right here in my pocket. Give me a second. Let me dig deep down and find that bad boy. All right, there we go. Let's see here. What is the rare Gudra's Overseer? Four colorless, double black creature, land ball. Whenever a land is to the battlefield under your control, other creatures you control get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. If that land is a swamp, those creatures get a plus two, plus zero until end of turn. All right. Put that to the side. Hold on to it. Maybe I'll use it for something later. So what's up on your end, Clay? You're back in school, right? 
Uh, yeah, I'm back at school, um, doing another semester of music stuff, um, getting ready for pre-release stuff this weekend. This will probably be Do the first one ukulele? in a while. Um, I could go get one. I could go Wait, get you a have multiple ukuleles? Wait a minute, there's a tiny one right here. <laughs> what? Uh, fun, so what, what is the plural for ukulele? Uh, I think ukuleles is the plural for ukulele. Ukulele. But how tiny is a tiny one? Um, it's one of those crappy $30 ones that you can find at any music store that doesn't stay in tune with itself, and it's kind of annoying. Okay. Well, you know what else is annoying, but we do it anyway? Favorite Commanders of the Week. Woo! So, Kevin, who's your favorite Commander this week? You know what? I'm just going to go back on Kalimli for last week, because I'm still kind of working on that Boros Resurrection deck. I've been getting a lot of positive responses from it since last week. Wait, case... Wait you're what? actually playing Kalimni? Uh, Kalimni. Really? The disciple, the disciple of our Iros. Yeah. Yeah. Her. Dang. I mean, he's I guess a... that's what I get for missing a week. Yeah, I mean, he, the... no, I had no problem with Kalimni. Kalimni's fine. The deck she came with sucked. The yeah. other, the other commander, Aya, uh, Anya, she, she's kind of a disgrace to the Legion. Not like <laughs> a bad creature, but just not like in a Boros like play style. But Kalimni's fine. I had no issues with her. And I've actually gotten a chance to build a deck that I think could potentially actually use her abilities a little bit better than the pre-release build. Hmm. And, oh, so you, you haven't really gotten a chance to hear about it. Uh, William, can you drop the link to my Boros Resurrection deck in the tapped app? Can do. Let's see. Head over to our Facebook page where I know someone's asking you about it. So, so for so for a quick rundown of what the deck basically is where you play, so we don't have to spend too much time rehashing it. Yeah. Uh, remember when we did the mono white reanimator deck concept? Yeah. I took a bunch of that stuff and I merged it with a bunch of red cards and phoenixes. <laughs> nice. Because you know phoenixes have that whole like come back from the graveyard thing. Yeah. But since most of the phoenixes range between three, four, five, and six. The smaller ones just kind of come back as bodies to be used for attacking and defense. And the larger ones have a tendency that when they do resurrect, they come back to your hand, so you have to recast them. Mm-hmm. Meaning that since they're big, I get to recast them, and Kalimni gets to get the extra experience counters because I'm constantly throwing Firebirds her direction. It's still kind of in prototype mode. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. But uh, it's been getting a lot of positive responses so far from people who've actually, like, looked over it just to kind of, like, glance at it. And there's a handful of cards in the deck that will be taken out and um, changed soon, but that's basically it. And I'm going to mute because here comes a ambulance. Okay, so, Clay, who's your favorite commander this week? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> ha! He's interrupting you now! Um... Well, my favorite commander for this week or past three weeks or however long it's been, um, I'm going to have to go with Rexiel the Risen Deep. Um, over, I've had this idea for a while. I forget if I've talked about it on the cast at all, but I've certainly mentioned it on Twitter. But to build a Splatoon-themed Rexiel deck, because if you know anything about me, I'm kind of hopelessly enamored with this paintball shooter game that Nintendo has made for the Wii U. Um, so basically, I looked at what, like, the main theme of Splatoon is inking turf. So I was like, you know, what's what's kind of an analog for that in Magic? And I realized that turning lands into lands of other types seemed to work pretty well. So 
we play a lot of things. We play a Quicksilver Fountain because that card is absolutely hilarious and no one ever wants to blow it up, so it just keeps doing its thing. Um, and we play all the enchantments that you put on islands and it makes them into other things. Then we play creatures that you tap them and stuff turns into other stuff until end of turn. So we have that part down. And then Splatoon takes place in like a post, uh, post-global warming society where humans have been extinct, but sea critters have become sentient and evolved. So we play a bunch of sea creatures like squids and krakens and leviathans and octopi. And then we fill it out with a bunch of equipment because weapons. And so it's kind of a weird, derpy sea creature tribal, um, Phyrexial Voltron sort of thing. And it's been a lot of fun. I've been starting to alter some of the cards. Um, I've posted about them on Twitter. I can dig them up again, potentially. Yeah, you can put them on the show. Sorry about that interruption, Clay. That ambulance rode up on you completely silent. And I was like, okay, apparently he is not really in that big of a rush. He just has his lights on. Okay, I guess I don't have to mute. Unmute. Woo! Like, oh, <laughs> mute. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, that's right. I actually forgot Alan Rickman died today. No, who don't talk about now? it. It's not real. Who did what to who now? So my favorite... I'm going to take Clay's thing because Clay said it's not real. It's real to me, damn it. Anyways. Alright, so, my favorite commander of the week is Aurelia the War Leader. Why? Because she punches face good. So, my little anecdote is that last, uh, last Tuesday, I was playing a game, and I basically did nothing for the first, I want to say, six, five, eleven turns. Like, I threw down some enchantments, and that was about it. But it got to the point where someone got low enough where I could go in, and we were getting close to getting kicked out of the store that I could throw down Aurelia, give her double strike, and then just swing and then kill someone. And is that one shot, two shots, or four shots? Because because there I don't know because like there are two attacks in that because Aurelia gets a second attack, but then she also has double strike. So they died in one turn, but. I don't know if it counts as a one-shot or two-shots or four-shots. It's four shots from one turn. There you go. Because it turns out... Because if we're counting if we're counting it as, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill you next turn, yeah, you did. If we're talking about how many hits it took, it's four. All right, there you go. How many times so did she it, de- it, depends on, it depends on your definition. Of, it depends on which definition of what you're going for for kill condition. If you're going by like the, oh yeah, I'll be able to kill you in two turns. No, I'm able to kill you in one. Granted, she's going to hit you four times in that one turn, but it's still one turn. Fair. Get some JoJo. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, punching going on. So yeah, Relia still manages to carry the team, even if apparently no one else shows up. All right. So it's just going to be the three of us today. Mark had to bow out, and we'll catch up with him next week about what exactly happened. But it's all right. Today we're just going to do our look back review for Fate or Forged. But before all that, if you want to join in on the conversation, go ahead and hit us up on the Reddit, the Facebooks, the Twitters, any of all that. If you like what we do here, go ahead and consider supporting us on Patreon. Right now, we, we're steadily getting more support, which I'm always very happy to see. Right now, we actually have a $1 tier. For just that $1, you know, it's just the tip. We have, I'm actually talking with Grandpa Gross and Hayes right now about different things that we can do for the website and for the Patreon. Right now, we're just in tip mode, and people are already tipping us some amount of money, which is very great. Yes. How many people are slipping us a tip right now, William? Oh, let's see. 
Last I counted, we had 11 people. Nice. Yeah, so let's see. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and double-check that, just in case what, someone may have decided that they didn't want to give us. Nope, it's still 11 people. I didn't know I meant, I didn't know Commander Kaiser could hold that many tips. Yeah, apparently we can. And right now we're earning about $55 a, a month. Like, that's five more dollars, and I can actually start filing the taxes for this. <laughs> I mean, that's assuming that we don't just run this into the ground, because... Apparently, Patreon, apparently the the way the taxes work, if you earn at least 600 annually from something, then you report taxes. So, at the $60 a month mark, that's 600 annually. But neither here nor there. Right? right. But that's if it stays at $60 a month. So, say if it gets to 60 and then it drops down to 40 do you mean it still be under the $600? No, I do mean 60 Like, $60 a month is the minimum. And Calvin's right. If it would have to stay like that for a whole year for me to, to make sure he has a tax. You you said six hundred annually, right? Six hundred annually, yeah. That's fifty a month. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hot damn! Yeah. I better make sure I get. Because you know, because if it was sixty dollars a month, that would be ten months. William, and this, unless of course you're William, trying to remove two months from the year. Just just make sure that you're not accidentally committing tax fraud, and it'll be okay. Right. Okay. So gotta make sure I take care of those forms later today after I. Verify my health insurance, which I got health insurance, so yeah, go me. Thanks, Obama. Alright, so going on to the meat and bones of the show, we have a lot to talk about, so there's only the three of us will be able to get to through this with relative swiftness, I want to say, but we have ten commanders to go through. Fortunately, some of these don't warrant a lot of discussion, but there is some about the discussion to have, and we have ten, count ten commanders to go through. So we're not going to waste any more time. We're just going to go ahead and get right into this right after our break. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Time to go through Fate Forged on Gatherer. Yep, and I'm going to use this moment to refill my my water cup, so I'll be right back. Uh, if I happen to die within the next, like, two minutes because I tried to look up Fate Forged and my phone decided to kill me. Alright, so we're going to talk about 10 new commanders that came out with Fate Before Forged. And Clay is actually going to fill in for Mark here and talk about Dagatar the Adamant. I mean, maybe it's not so much that uh, that it's Mark's thing to play Dagatar because I now play Dagatar too. Um, but, okay. So, our friend, let's see, Dagatar the Adamant. Okay, Dagatar the Adamant is a zero zero human warrior legendary creature for three and a white. He adds vigilance, and he enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters, so he's not just a zero zero for four. He's basically a four for four. four. Um, and he has an activated ability where for one and two hybrid Golgari mana, so any combination of two uh, green or black mana, move a plus one plus one counter from target creature onto a second target creature. So basically, you get to move counters around if your opponents are putting counters on their creatures. You get to shift them around if you want to move counters between your own creatures or even give them to your opponent's creatures. That's totally fine, too. You can do that. Um, I recently built a Dagatar deck out of random crap that I had sitting around that had to do with plus one, plus one counters. Um, and ended up sinking maybe another $20 into singles just to soup it up a little bit. And it's been a lot of fun. 
We get to play cards like Hardened Scales and Corpse Jack Menace. And it's just been a lot of fun. Just get to move counters around. I got to cast Endless One and have it enter the battlefield as a 70-70. What? Yeah. Or no, it was an 80-80. Or it entered as a 76-76, but ended up going up to an 80-80 because of effects on the board. Okay. This deck is funny. That's all I have to say about that. Can I give a quick anecdote of the really dumb thing that I had happen? Go ahead. Because I, so, I think Calvin and I are more or less going to talk. Say Dietard just kind of pooped, which is why I think Mark would have gone with. But yeah. if you have a okay. anecdote, he's awesome. Go ahead. The, the, the reason that I like playing Dagatar is because it's incredibly derpy, and I have no expectations of this deck ever winning, which is why when it wins, it's so awesome. But I don't get sad when it doesn't. Anyways, I sat down at a four-man table, um, and across the table I see Oloro, there's a Grenzo, um, I forget who the third one was, but I keep a hand that's like two lands, um, so like a green source and a black source, and a gyre sage, and a map the waste, and I, I don't, yeah, hardened scales was also in that hand. So I go, like, turn one, Hardened Scales, turn two, Gyre Sage, and that's all fine and dandy. Turn three, I find another land. Um, but the the best part of this was, um, the Olaro player plays a turn two Karlov. So every turn, he's gaining two life and putting two counters on this Karlov. Well, I ended up getting enough mana to power out Dagatar, and then every turn, I was using my Gyre Sage to use Dagatar to move counters from Karlov onto Gyre Sage making it even bigger to give me more mana to take more counters from Gyre Sage the next turn. Huh. <laughs> the Gyre Sage had at least 18 counters on it by the time it was finally killed. But why didn't he just, I, the Karlov player just sack the Karlov? Because he didn't have a way to sacrifice it. Why didn't he just... I, but, but basically my goal with that was to never let him have enough counters on Karlov to start exiling stuff, but not caring when he attacked. And it was sweet. Okay, so Dagatar, hidden gem then? I would say so. If you build it with no expectations of winning, yes. Otherwise, you might as well play Gage. Okay, so the one thing I want to say about Dagatar real quick before another card happens to pass, seeing as how Clay said he's only really good if you're just using him as kind of like this temporary, not intending to win concept, does that make him a prime target for a casual player? Seeing as how, you know, you're not in, you're, you're not playing because you want to win games, you're playing because you want to play games. I would say so. If you want to do weird interactions, like, um... One thing that I discovered, um, I put a Fertilid in the deck because it's a great card. Um, it's a little elemental from Lorwen, enters with two counters, and then you can pay one and a green and remove a counter and target player Rampant Growths. Um, because I could use Dagatar to put more counters on it to ramp more. Um, and then I found out that Retreat to Gazandu, which one of the modes is Landfall, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature, is really good with Fertilid because it just means two mana Rampant Growth as many times as you want. Like, you get weird interactions, and it's great. It's the kind of deck that I enjoy playing with no actual caring about winning, but if the win presents itself, you still just go for it, because why not? Fair. I have to say that's actually a fair assessment. Like, if you're intending on playing Dagatar, just don't intend to win, and you'll have fun. We could say that about a lot of commanders, but Dagatar in particular. Yes. One of them, though, that can actually just kind of kill people out of nowhere if you're not careful... Shuyan the Silent Tempest. So for two and a blue, you get a 3-2 Human Monk with Prowess. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you may pay Hybrid Boros Boros. If you do, target creature gains double strike until end of turn. 
This guy can actually punch pretty hard if you let him. What was that? Did you someone say Boros? Yeah. Shuyan, we're talking about Shuyan right now. And a while back, I started playing a Noyandar deck. And afterwards, you know, Noyandar is one of those really interesting commanders that, you know, that people want to try because he does something pretty unique for a color pair. You know, anime lands and all that. So I had a friend who actually ended up trying out Shuyun with kind of the same concept. Like it had Tauran, it had Young PZ, the Young Pyromancer, you know, that kind of stuff. Same principle. And I don't know if you realize this, but, you know, it's just one non-creature spell, like an equipment or a planeswalker or anything like that, can get him up to an 8-3, a 4-3 that double strikes, that's 8 points of damage. You know, that's essentially a 3-turn clock. So if you were just throwing on, like, auras or equipments onto him, he could actually become a pretty scary Voltron. Oh yeah, that double strike is super relevant. Yeah. And anytime you get into some sort of just counter war or temple war, like, oh, bounce your thing, well, in response, counter spell or removal spell or anything like that, it just makes him bigger. Yeah. But that double strike, to get, but the ability to give double strike to any creature, <laughs> you know, I could have sworn there were moments where he was just going to give, like, other guys' creatures double strike just to kill someone or to mess with blocking. He didn't, but he very well could have. That would have made someone very salty. <laughs> So Kevin, I, I have a friend who built a Shugun deck built around using Sunforger, uh, just kind of like the quintessential Jeskai Sunforger deck, and it was pretty potent when it got going, just because you activate it, you find something to cast, you cast it, you give something double strike. Yeah, and by itself, it almost turns him into just kind of a, because it turns, because it gives him four plat power. So you do anything, yeah. you don't really even need the process at that point, it's just the double striking and he's hitting you with a hammer. Yes, quite literally. I know his, there were two real big things that, that really helped Shuyun. Was that one, people were getting kind of sick of, of seeing the Narset deck, so he was a very safe audible. Yeah. If you just wanted to play kind of a Jeskai general Value. pile of stuff. Like Shuyun was a very open, is a very open-ended commander. He's cheap enough that he's relevant, and he can also just be good on his own. Yeah. This was also when the we were doing the Tiny Leaders craze. It was very popular for that, too. Yes. Not that so, I've heard anything about Tiny Leaders since then, mind you. So, question. Isn't this the set where Hero's Blade came? Yep. Yep. Yes. Exactly what okay. you were thinking. Just, just double-checking. <laughs> All right. So, Clay, go ahead and t- start talking about Tassiker the Golden Fang. Okay. Tassiker the Golden Fang is a weird one. Um. So, imagine, if you will... A fairly large body. Like, let's say, you know, a Tarmogoyf, a Tarmogoyf with four different, uh, four different card types in the graveyard. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, so a four or five. And he's a human shaman instead of a Lurgoyf. So you got a little bit better value out of a Cavern of Souls there. Um, but he costs six mana, you know, five colorless and a black. But what if I told you that you only ever had to pay one mana for him? This well, guy has elves. Hmm. I would call he you a liar, elves. sir. You you get to the uh, the cost payment part of casting him, and you can just exile five cards out of your graveyard and only have to pay a black. And then you have a four or five. That, that in itself is pretty good. Now what if I told you that it gets even better because it's... Because it's a form of mana payment, or even if it was a form of cost reduction still, you can exile two more cards each additional time to pay for the commander tax. 
because that's actually a thing that works. So, assuming you're filling up your graveyard, you uh, you only ever have to pay one mana to recast it for a 4-5. It's not a bad clock. Now, what if I told you that it gets even better? Because he has bananas in his art? He does have bananas in his art. He is the banana king is it because he, Is it because he makes an excellent, excellent medallion? It does. He makes an absolutely stunning fashion choice several thousand years down the road. Or hundred years, I forget which one is. But anyways. It's a whole new meaning so to the Emperor's new clothes. You, uh, <laughs> the Emperor becomes the new clothes. Um, so you need to keep your graveyard full to keep recasting him, right? He has an ability where you can pay two and then, uh, two, uh, Simic Hybrid to mill two. So he keeps his graveyard full for himself and your other delf spells. But also, he then returns a non-land card of an opponent's choice from your graveyard to your hand. So, yeah, you put cards into your graveyard, an opponent chooses a non-land card. So if you hit two lands, then you get something you didn't mill. If you hit one land and nothing else, and there's nothing else in your graveyard, you get that one thing. I've had an activation where I was playing against an aggro deck, and the only thing in my graveyard after delving was a Toxic Deluge and a, and a Damnation. And it was just like, well, activate this Tassiger, flip two lands, which board wipe do you want to give me back that's going to wreck your board? The best thing about a Tassiger deck is that aside from, like, cantrips and stuff, you can make it so that your opponent has no good options on what to give back to you. You can make them give you board wipes, you can make them give you counter spells, you can make them give you tutors... Because you play stuff like Tassiger with Delve that gets rid of all the chaff that you don't want anymore. All those cantrips, Delve them away. It, it It's just perfect. Mm-hmm. I have no negative feelings about Tassiger whatsoever, because he's just super strong. So Tassiger basically is the Sotai version of the Ghost Chieftain? Because you can continuously use your graveyard to recall, reduce his cost. I suppose so. Except he's also much more of a uh, spell-based value engine, rather than Corridor's creature-based. Like, right, like, don't get me wrong, I get that part. I mean, you know, him and Corridor trade similar waters. So if you've played Corridor before, Tassinger kind of falls very close to, but not exactly in not exactly in the same, like, portion of the pool, I guess. Yeah, like, I think I would say, fundamentally, Tassinger is a control deck, whereas Corridor is a combo deck. But otherwise, they do. They both are graveyard decks, definitely. Even though Corridor relies more on having stuff in the graveyard, Tasker relies on getting stuff out of your graveyard. Wait, that sounds weird, but yeah, Corridor's more like a, a value engine commander. Where Tasker is, if you need me to beat face, cast me and use me to generate value. If not, just do other stuff with your spells. At least the way that I play it, and I play a fairly well tuned. Dual Commander, French List thing. Well, the reason I'm saying like they're very similar is because like one, yes, their mana cost is reduced because of what you have in your graveyard and what you're willing to do with it. So, say with Tassinger, yes, he can be cheaper to cost as long as you're willing to fill your graveyard with stuff and potentially throw away some things you don't want to use at the moment. Whereas with Corridor, uh, Corridor, he with Corridor he falls into a very similar spot of. Yes, you want your graveyard filled with things, but he doesn't want you to get rid of them because he wants you to bring them back to the field. Yeah. And, you know, Tassinger wants to bring the stuff that you have in your graveyard back to the field, too, because once he activates his ability, he's going to let you cast things from your graveyard back, like your damnation on um, the air clay. 
So it's like, you know, it's a nice roundabout way of doing the same thing. No good options is the best way to do it, no matter what the deck is. Hmm. So, yeah, I've played against the Tasker deck. It's been mostly a, hey, let's go ahead and be politics type deck. Control deck Tasker is definitely, I think, the the right mindset to go into playing him, though. Especially if you're playing one on Yeah. Now, here's a very special lady as we move on to the next commander. Alesha, who smiles at death. Oh, I got a foil one for Christmas, and it is just beautiful. I love how the foil work glows on her armor, just everything. I love this card. And if I wasn't committed to Kalia already, this would be a very fun commander to build around. And I've actually ended up building her as kind of a shop loaner deck. In fact, I have that deck right next to me, because I I have to work on tuning it up some. But Alesha is two and a red. She's a first-striking human warrior, a 3-2. And whenever she attacks, you may pay a hybrid of Orzov Orzov. If you do, return target creature with power two or less from the graveyard to the battlefield attacked and attacking. And, oh, I got the beautiful things I got to see with this deck. So, of course, one of the best targets that you can bring back with Alesha is going to be stuff like Ponyback Brigade. And you know what I love about Ponyback Brigade? The fact that a bunch of goblins riding on a pony. That it triggers very similar to the Siege Gauge Commander. That it triggers Cather's Crusade four times. Oh gosh. Yep, and it actually got me going with some other enchantments too, like Valor and Acros. So a lot of the it's essentially what Tom recommended what a year ago is kind of that tokens build where you have to- token makers in the graveyard that come into play, they make their tokens, and you get the, your value off off of them. Alesha herself needs some help getting over things. You know, I normally I would like the, um, uh, what, what do we call them, the gifts cycle of enchantments from Shadowmoor, but she's she's mono-red, so they don't help her as much as I would like them to. You know, uh, Fisica yeah. Demigod would have been amazing if she was actually just red-black. But but no. Instead, you go with stuff like the Hero's Blade, some really big equipment. Uh, you can go ahead and be cute with like the Trailblazer boots to give her land walk. But I think just giving her a really big hammer or something is probably just the best way. It's another great Stormforger deck because yeah. it, they also you also just get stuff that makes instant tokens like Midnight Haunting, Servant's Call. So much removal in those colors. Oh, all the removal. Like you're literally like, playing removal dot deck. So you can actually just kill whatever ends up blocking her. And if they block yeah. your token maker like you're playing back with game, you don't care because you're just bringing it back next turn anyway. Yep. Now, if they block your uh, Master of Cruelties, you might be in trouble. Uh, <laughs> I, I think if you're playing Master of Cruelties at that point, you are already in trouble. Because unless, because just like Kalia, Alessia has that interaction with Master of Cruelties where yes. she can bring it back, and if the master goes unblocked, they're going down to zero, and then first strike happens. Yes. Actually, huh. Funny how both of, how two of the Mardu commanders actually just cause instant death in that thing. Yes. Mmm, death. Mmm, instant. Alright, so Kevin, are you fr- free to talk about Alesha? Uh, oops. Alesha, the woman who smiles at death? Yes. Uh, you guys basically have hit all the key points as far as her deck is concerned. You want token generators, you want your Siege King Commander, Sondra's parents, things of that nature to show up. The uh, only thing for it is, is that I kind of wish that her thing wasn't create pow- creatures with power two or less. I wish it was like three, because then we would have a little <laughs> bit more range for things to get. 
I mean, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, she could potentially be too good at that point. But it's just one of those things where, like, I would have gone with, like, you know, three power or I would have even been happy with, like, three toughness just so I could have a wider range of things to get. Because getting creatures that have, like, that three, two power can be very difficult. But in the same token, you're also playing red, white, and black, so you have access to, like, the anthem effects. So you can, even though they are coming back as two twos or three or two twos or one ones, they can still get the extra pump from like Helios anthems and all that other stuff. Cards of which names I can't remember. Okay, so let's go on to the last one: Yasoma Dragon Claw. For two and green, you get a legendary human warrior who's a four two. This one has trample though, and at the beginning of your combat turn, at the beginning of your com, okay, at the beginning of combat on your turn. Yes. You may pay one and two hybrids. At the beginning of your combat turn. Well, combat's every turn. So, turn Yeah, but it wouldn't be your combat turn. It's your combat turn. It's not every combat turn. At the beginning of your combat turn. You pay one, is it, is it. If you do, gain control of target creature and opponent controls. Is it? Yeah, is it. Opponent controls with power less than... God! Okay, this is how he got... Okay, okay, we're even now. I interrupted him with cars. He interrupts me. Gain control of creature power less than you, so with Dragon Claw's power until end of turn. Untap that creature and against haste until end of turn. This is what I was playing as, with my, as my commander for a while. And she can be rather fun, you know, just taking creatures, throwing them at other people, using things like Conjurer's Closet or uh, Jalera to just make use of all that extra creature fodder, evolutionary leap. You know, just, uh, if you want, if you like playing that active aggression sack deck, she's definitely very fun for that. The problem I ended up having was that I value commanders to kind of do something on their own, and she certainly does something on her own, but at the same time, it wasn't really a big enough impact that I really felt like she was contributing to what the deck wanted to do. And so, recently, I actually swapped her back to the Mousham Wanderer and was much happier playing Spacecraft. Yasova, though, is actually fine on her own. She just isn't that impressive on her own. Uh, what she needed was, instead of being in this particular com- color combination, she needed to be in, like, she just, she needed to be with black. Because that way she could have that whole steal your creature and actually sacrifice it effect kind of thing going on. Because now it's like, I'm using your stuff, and then after I use your stuff, I can use your stuff for other things. I mean, there's other ways to sacrifice creatures in gray, green, and I'm guessing potentially blue. But it's, yeah. you know, it's fewer and far between. But, like, say she was, like, red, green, and black, or red, blue, and black, or whatever the color combination needed to get black in there for her would have been. She might have been a little bit, you know, more useful. Fair. Like, there's definitely plenty of ways to abuse stealing your opponent's stuff in those colors. Um, she's got kind of a really cool aggressive angle on the steal stuff deck, but... Just have to make sure that you can keep her bigger than your opponent's stuff, so you can keep taking it. Yeah, and there definitely are ways to do that, like with uh, uh what was it, Bountiful Harvest? That's super awesome, Green Enchantment, other things like that. Usually, you're just polymorphing them away, or Crystal Shard was another one. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So now that we're done with these cons, dragons. That's the other half. Durgans. So. Big derpy Durgans. Dagron. Alright, Clay, go ahead and introduce okay. Jamoka. So, the other cycle of legendary creatures that we got in Fate Reforged are a set of incredibly powerful dragons of the time that were 
the scourge of the clans, the ones that they were fighting the whole time. And each of these five dragons is fairly sizable on their own. They can be fairly threatening. And they also have an ability that harkens back to Udvara Helkite, meaning whenever a dragon attacks, something happens. Udvara Helkite gave you another 6-6 dragon, which in turn made more dragons, but these guys are a little different. Uh, they usually had something to do with their colors, and so we'll start with the green-white one, Dromoka the Eternal. Dromoka the Eternal is a 5-5 legendary dragon for three green-white, so a 5-5-5 with flying, which isn't bad. Um... And whenever a dragon you controls attack, whenever whenever a dragon you control attacks, bolster two. Bolster was the uh, the Abzan mechanic in Fate Reforged, where when the trigger, when the ability resolves or the spell resolves, whatever has the bolster, you choose the creature you control with the least toughness or tied with for the least toughness, and you put that many plus one plus one caps on. So. Whenever a dragon you control attacks, you do that several times for two plus one plus one counters. So if Dromoka is the only creature you control and she attacks, you uh, put two counters on her and she becomes a 7-7. Seven, seven. If she's attacking with a 1-1, one, one, then you're attacking with a 5-5 five, five, and then put two counters on that guy and it's a 3-3. Three, three. Or if you have, like, two dragons and some smaller dudes, you can just buff all the smaller dudes. I've played her in Dagatar and done kind of silly things. I've also played her among each of the other ones back when I had Scion of the Ur-Dragon, Dragon Tribal, because turning into one of these guys and attacking immediately is actually hilarious. The one thing I want to have to throw out here real quick about Boaster is that this is an effect that I personally think was good, but the fact that it was in the guild that's green, black, and white kind of made it difficult for me to want to play because I wanted to also play it with Graph, which is green and blue. So we need some four-color commanders. Either that or just take the ones that are green and white and play like a band deck or something. Fair. Yeah, I don't really have anything on this particular Jamoka. I saw her uh, quite a bit when we were drafting Cube, and she's cool and all, but I don't know. She was in there. She was in my Gehiji deck when it was a Gehiji deck. But I guess I could see her playing her in, actually, huh? If I put her into a Morath deck with the Brood Mother, then that's a bunch of small baby dragons that I can use to refill Morath. Hmm. So who's our next dragon, Clay? Um, our next dragon is Ochtai, Soul of Winter. He's the, uh, the blue-white one. Um, just a little bit, a little bit colder on your opponents. Um, he costs a lot more though, which is sad. Uh, Ochitai is a 5-6, so a slightly bigger butt, for 5, a blue and a white, so 7 mana instead of 5 compared to Dromoka. Um, but he also has Vigilance, so he's got a big body, he, he's evasive, he can block, and whenever a dragon you control attacks, tap target non-land permanent and opponent controls. That permanent doesn't untap during the controller's next untap step. So he flies in, he hits something with some icy breath, and even more if you have other dragons attacking with them, and it stops stuff from un- from uh, untapping and being used against you. So... Uh, one downside I have yeah. to say about this particular dragon is, is that, quite frankly, the whole untap during your opponent's next untap step thing is okay in 1v1s, but in a multiplayer game, you can easily be lost track of, and, well, granted, could be, you know, useful. I could be, it's just something where, in a big group of people... If enough turns go by, you probably forget that you're not supposed to untap this thing 
or forget that it's supposed to stay tapped and then just stay tapped for three turns as opposed to the one turn because you forgot it wasn't supposed to untap or whatever. Fair. My issue with this dragon is that it costs seven. Yeah. I never see him actually play. Oh, I have an issue with this dragon, but I'm not going to save that issue for after we're done talking about all five of the dragons. <laughs> like, I just I just don't see him, like, ever. Like, if he didn't cost seven, knock off one point of mana, just one point. And he might be playable. And, I w- and even I w- would have tried to have played him. Seven mana is just a lot. It is. Like, his his souped-up future version is just so much better than this one. Yeah, but that's not here. It's only there. Yep. So, so let me go ahead and read off Silumgar the Drifting Derp for Calvin. So, Calvin, Silumgar the Drifting Death. Four blue-black dragon. Derp. Yep. He's so derpy. Look at that little derpy face. He's a f- flying hexproof 3-7. Whenever a dragon you control attacks, creatures defending player controls get minus one, minus one until end of turn. Oh, man. This card. This is a card. Ah, yeah, this is a card. This is a card that kills tons and tons of tokens. I know this, because I've seen it kill tons and tons of tokens. And because it's flying and has X proof, it's kind of difficult to deal with, because you can't just throw anything in front of it, and you can't just throw anything at it. Not to mention it's a 3-7. Exactly. And he's so basically what it is. So basically, with the Drifting Dirt, the breakdown for it comes in is this. You can't block it. If you can block it, you need, like, a bunch of things to block it or something that's, like, 7-7 seven, seven or 7-8 seven, or whatever. And you can't kill it. You can't target it. If you do kill it, you got to wrap everything. You can't burn it with burn damage, even if damage were to hit it or whatever the case may be. You know, like, you know, just some type of giant, like, earthquake-style effect that hit flyers, like a hurricane or something. Yeah, but you got to go, like, 7 high just to get them. So, and then on top of that, every time he attacks, he's killing off all your smaller dudes, so... Now your ground forces are kind of weak, just kind of kind of sucks. I mean, well, no, he doesn't suck, but, you know, if you're playing against him, it sucks to be you. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, so I actually like this guy in kind of like the Phoenix deck, because he's, cause, one, because he's got that huge ass. Yeah. Two, because he does help take the pressure off of more defensive decks by wiping away the small incidental things. And it's just big enough to wrestle with some of the bigger ones. Like, maybe they, they actually just have an Omnath, so he can actually just block that. Yeah. Um, I've had fun with this card. Be like, I I have, what, like, three dragons on the board. Activate Scion. Turn into Silumgar. Um, attack you with my three dragons. Your board's gone. Um, also, because he is hexproof, you can use it as as uh, target protection. Yeah, that's, playing Scion that's what I've seen him use as, as a lot for. Yeah, where if someone targets your Scion of the Ur-Dragon with a kill spell, like a Hero's Downfall or something, you activate it, you put Silumgar into your graveyard, and then boom, he's hexproof and the spell fizzles. Okay, so Silumgar has some definite utility to him. Oh, yeah. He's also just enormous. He blocks like a champ. He kills smaller things. And he he has the hexproof, which is probably the biggest reason not to play Ojutai. Like, if Ojutai was flying hexproof, hexproof with the same ability... He would be even more playable because he could you wouldn't just be able to zap him out of the air. Yeah. That's seven mana so much though. Yep. Ugh. What? I was saying that seven mana is so much. Ah, there we go. 
Now, let's go on to something that's a little more exciting. A little so, more uh, dashing. Yeah. She's a dashing dragon. So, Kelligan, the Storm's Fury. Three. Uh, is that a she? Yeah. Remember, only the blue ones are boys because blue players are dicks. Ah, got it. <laughs> so, Kelligan, the Storm's Fury. She's three black-red. Legendary 4-5 Flying Dragon. Memory Dragon creature you control attacks. Creatures you control get 1-0 until end of turn, but you can dash her down for 5. So, here's how it goes. You play Colin in the Source Fury, and you swing, and your whole team gets 1-0. Okay, that's part of the reason why I'm playing her in the Alesha deck. But she obviously goes great in a Dragon Tribal deck, because all your dragons are attacking, they're all getting pumped. It's even better when it helps build more of an Alpha Strike, right? Yeah. I really feel that her true value comes from the fact that she can actually just be a hasty 4-5 in the air that becomes a 5-5 whenever she attacks. So 5-5 flying that hits you for a turn and then disappears and dodges board wipes. That's really the the real thing here. Like, I've actually seen Prosh lists run her because it can give the Colgan to- the uh, the Cobalt tokens and incidental turns them into incidental 1-1s or with Prosh turns them into 2-1s. Or if you have more dragons... Even more. How many dragons could you actually want, though? It's like a couple of Moonveil dragon activations that you don't have to invest extra mana in. Right, and there are a lot of just great dragons are incidentally dragons. Yeah, like, the Colligan... All all of these dragons go really well with Udvara Hellkite, but Colligan specifically just because it makes them massive. Like, if you start with just Udvara Hellkite and Colligan, you attack with both of them, they both get plus two, plus zero. And you make two more six sixes. The next turn you attack with all four of them. They all get plus four plus so, and you make four more six sixes, and it just snowballs. Honestly, my biggest complaint about Colgan is the art. Like, the card <laughs> itself is fantastic. I just wish that they had gone with some different art. That's, that's not a great mugshot. <laughs> Fair. Calvin, did you have thoughts about Colgan? Uh, no, not really just yet. I mean, you know, I just kind of wish the dash could be used for the command zone. It can be. I thought it was only from the hand. No. no, no, no. It goes back to your hand, but you can use the dash from your command zone. Yeah. You just have to pay commander tax. Ah, uh, gotcha. Did not realize that. Oh, well, better than I thought. <laughs> All right. And talking about better than we thought, we finally get to my girl, Atarka World Renderer. So, so for five red-green. You get a 6-4 Flying Trample, the Flample Dragon herself, Atarka. And she has just probably the most powerful ability among these dragons. Whenever a dragon you control attacks, it gains double strike until end of turn. So we were talking about how 7 mana was a lot for Ojitai. It's actually about right for Atarka. Because she's, because by herself, this, this beautiful dinosaur type monstrosity that just eats people out of nowhere, swings for 12 a turn, has trample, so anything you try and throw in front of this motherfucker just gets devoured. And you combine it with any number of damage-doubling effects, power-boosting effects, she can just one-shot people out of nowhere. Just curve Xenogod into a Tarka and you one-shot people. Exactly. The, The mana cost is alleviated by the fact that it actually just has green, so that's not as big of an issue. Yeah. And, again, there have been a lot of games where I go, okay, end of turn, flash and dictate the Twin Gods, play a Tarka, she has haste because reasons, like maybe there's a hammer out, maybe I have anger in the graveyard, or maybe I snapped on Dragon Breath, 
swing with Antarka, and oh god, she just killed someone out of nowhere. Like, who knew something that big could move so fast? Your mom knew that. But my mom doesn't play magic. I don't think she even <laughs> she doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah, she knew something that big could move that fast. Mama Tarka knew, though. Oh. Otarka is amazing. Otarka is a beast. And Otarka is one of the few of, is one of the few commanders out of these ten that I can actually have an extremely positive review about. <laughs> I have nothing negative at all to say about this dragon. Except okay. for the fact that I wish I had more. What more could you Always. want? Son? No, I wish I had more copies. That's what I wish ah, I had. Ah, okay. Not, 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 not that I wish she did more. I mean, shit, if she did more... I would, I'd be, I probably would have to quit magic because she'd be banned. Ah, she's just, ooh. I love this card. This, this card just does everything I, I wanted my red green deck to do, which is to play big stompy dinosaurs that are actually just dragons. Because I can't think of like action, the other beasts or elementals or anything like that as big stompy. No, when I think big stompy dinosaur decks, I think dragons, and the target just embodies it perfectly. So I have a nice, I have a nice spoily version. It's really pretty. If only she said whenever a creature you control attacks. Oh, don't get me started on, don't, don't you get me started on that path, Clay, because that's gonna be one of my key bitches about these dragons. Alright, so we're done with all ten commanders. Calvin, it sounds like you finally have some clean air. Let's go ahead and get your thoughts. So, the main thing I wanna say about bitching about these dragons is, in Magic the Gathering, dragons come Constantly around. They're in pretty much every set now. At least one or two, right? Mm-hmm. But the issue here is, is that most likely, nine times out of ten, they're in red. Which means that these other dragons that don't have red in their mana cost, that have this effect, we're like, yeah, I'll do this thing for you if you play dragons. Bitch, you're the only dragon I, I got. <laughs> what the heck? What? <laughs> So, like, yeah, you're going to do this cool thing, so you might as well just take that dragon text off and just say, you're going to do the damn thing your damn self and just call it a fucking day. Because the chance of you ever doing it with other dragons ain't going to be shit if you're the commander. Because, bitch, ain't no other dragons in your deck. Fair. I mean, there, we have dragons in other colors, like green has Jugen. No, I'm not playing Jugen just to get that effect. I am not playing Jugen in a deck with a green dragon. Just so I can be able to bolster too. Okay, I, I'm curious now. Just how many blue dragons do we have? We have eight blue dragons. How many of them came with cons? One, two. Okay, so as of con, no, as of fate reports, we had six blue dragons that you could play in in Ojutai deck. And of those six blue dragons, how many of them are worth playing? That's the key question here. It's so, not the fact that you have six dragons. It's the fact you have six dragons, but out of those six, let's just say four, three are worth actually playing, which right, means so that by the time you get that effect, it's Quicksilver dragon, not really worth Cosmo it. Dragon, Mist Dragon, uh, Mind Scour Dragon, which came out in that set, Kega, and Cloud Dragon. Are you forgetting, uh, and, uh, aren't you forgetting Mistform Ultimus? And Mistform Ultimus. Mistform All the changelings. So there are plenty of blue dragons if you wanted to play blue dragons. True. Yes, there are blue. All right. So uh, uh, what's the green-white one? Jamoka? Yeah. How many green and or white dragons do we have? All right. Go to, see, modify the search. Because I can tell you right now, I don't want to play any, I don't want to play any of the green ones. Okay, so taking out dragons and Tarkir at the time of Fate Reports, we have... Wolves. We, we, we have our baby. Our baby? 
What, the, uh, the uh, 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 catapult? We had 11, yeah. and then when Dragon... What, Canopy Dragon? Uh, Sunscorch Regions. Yeah, that one. Right now, including Dragons and Tarkir, we have 18 dragons in green and white. So you're building a commander deck with him. You have 18 dragons to choose from. Yes. But out of those 18, well, how many of them are playable? That's the key. Well, let's see. You see, you see look, I, I can tell you there's 448 goblins, but the question is, how many of them are worth actually putting in a fucking deck? But with Canopy Dragon, if you pay one in green, you- it loses trample and gains flying. So, like I was saying, these command these dragons, while interesting in design space, I get where they're going. They all have this thing that they love dragons. They have their own broods to worry about. Like, you know, I, I feel that. I love it on a flavor standpoint. Putting them into other decks that have other dragons in them, like a multicolored deck, like a three-color, maybe a four, maybe a five-color deck or something like that, perfectly fine. But seeing as how these dragons all only have as their command, seeing as how they are commanders, they only come with two color pair, which restricts what they could do if they were the commander. And the vast majority of them don't really, while yes, may have 18 dragons to choose from, you're really playing a very weak version of a green dragon deck, or a green-white dragon deck. Where if you played a five-color deck, you could get all five of them in there, they could all be helping each other out, you could actually throw some good red dragons in there, and a few of the decent ones from the other color combinations, and, you know, have a nice deck going on. All right, but consider but this. individually, but they kind of just... Common. With Exalted Dragon, he can't attack unless you sack a land. So, like I was saying, well, granted, <laughs> I like them as creatures, uh, and I understand flavor-wise why they would have to be legends. I feel as though this is a cycle of legendary dragons that didn't need the whole... When a dragon you control attacks, do this effect. They could have changed those around a little bit more to make it so, like, as we stated, the blue-white one could have just said when a creature you control attacks or just take the creature thing off. Just say when this creature when this creature attacks, do this. Because chances are it's going to be the only dragon you have when it does attack because it's going to be the only dragon in your damn deck. Unless you're playing a Tarker, which is perfectly fine because Tarker has all that red. You can have plenty of dragons in there. So much red. When you play, what was the red-black one? Coligan? Uh, yeah, Coligan. Yeah, when you play Coligan, perfectly fine. You have access to all those red dragons. You got some skeleton dragon, I guess. And you have access to conspiracy. You can, so you could just be like, fuck it, I'm going to turn everything into a dragon. Fair. Uh, in blue, you get Xenograft. So, and black Ojutai gets, can at least make other yeah, things. Yeah, but blue gets everything. And black gets conspiracy. And, and white gets mirror entity to activate and turn everything into dragons. So... What could actually build a dragon deck that has no other actual dragons in it and call it dragon? Theoretically, deck. yes. Theoretically. So, did you have any overarching rant you wanted to talk about with co- the cons? What, me? Yeah. No, I actually have no problem with the cons for the vast majority of them. All right, so that actually brings up an interesting question. Who do you think had the better cycle, the cons or the dragons? Um, I think the cons. Their merits, but because the cons weren't going to get upgraded versions in the next set, they kind of had to make the cons better and cheaper than the dragons. Yes, that is the reasoning behind it. But overall, who do you feel had the better the cycle? The cons had a better cycle. The dragons all really synergize with each other, but the cons individually, I think, are better. The, no, the con, cons are the better cycle. 
That's no, it, I, in comparison, right? Well, granted, yes, the dragons do synergize with one another. That's cute. That's good. That's adorable. That works. But the cons, you can build those decks and not have to even care about this particular set. Where with dragons, you kind of need other cards, and you kind of need other things that this set provides in order to be able to kind of get that extra reach with them. And it, they kind of need each other as well. The cons are three colors, which means that the cons can go into multiple ranges with shades of black and being an all-green-white deck, or shades of white and being an all-green-black deck. With these dragons, if you don't have red, you can barely pull off the whole thing. And then you got to jump through, like, stupid little loopholes like uh, Mirror Entity and Conspiracy just to kind of get the theme going. The dragons all basically want to be a dragon-themed deck. The cons don't want to be a con-themed deck. They're just five individual creatures that do interesting things that stand on their own. Granted, their deck is supposed to be built around them to help them, but you don't have to. Whereas with the dragons, if you don't do it, how many of the dragons actually really matter? Atarka works. Slumgar, yeah, I could see it. Big, hasty, hex, uh, big hex-proof beast that... It's hard to kill. And then right about there, it, like, really falls into the bottom of the barrel where you're trying to figure out which of the other three suck the least. It's one of the main reasons you don't see them as commanders that often for those color combinations. Yeah, so overall, cons definitely pulled out over dragons in this set. And, as history show, that is what happens originally. But then... A little someone in Sarkin comes in, fucks everything up, and, and these dragons... And then the doctor shows up and messes it all up. So much for fixed points in time. It's a fixed point in time. The result, on the other hand, is not fixed. Fair. Okay, so that about does it for the commanders. Overall, guys, how did you like the commanders that came out of this set? Yay? Nay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like out of, out of the ten commanders... Uh, the cons are all decent. Like, you know, they, they range from decent to crud, but they're all workable. Even with Dagatar, it's like one of those. You probably wouldn't Dagatar build it, but you can play it if you chose to. Dagatar's and with the dragons, right. like, yeah. Yes, I'm saying, like, Dag- Dagatar is playable. I mean, he might not be the best option for the color combination, but if he's the, but you, if you had him and you wanted to play the color combination, you know, you can't, it's not like you're playing, uh, Norn the Wary because it's the only legendary raid creature you got, you know? Yeah, no. I, not, not well, to, yeah, he's very similar to Norn. It's like, if it's the only raid creature you got and you build a deck around it, good. It can work. Not probably going to be the best mono red deck you got. It might not be the best deck of its type you can build. But, you know, you can still get away with it. Atarka is far and away my favorite commander out of all ten of these. Dagatar is playable, but he's he, he was just disappointing for what was going to be another Abzan commander. Because remember, the cons helped give another Wedge commander to what was a very small pool at the time. Yes. The dragons yeah. are just, as a whole, the dragons are more disappointing because it feels like they do too little. And they like, don't really do anything to bolster the color combination that they are in. Yeah, like we know the re- reason why, but that doesn't change how we feel about these iterations of all right, so now that we've talked about the commanders, 
We're going to go on to our next segment, and we're going to share the other 99 that came out, and we got a lot of great stuff in this set. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. I'm back to us, Calvin. No, don't make us do this by ourselves again. Don't uh, make us do what by ourselves again? A show. Like what? I'm here. I didn't go anywhere. I just died off the internet, as per usual. I'm oh. like Squee. <laughs> so you're like Squee, but you're actually Tuck Tuck, is what you're saying. Yeah, because I come back more metal than I was before. Character. Talk about some of our favorite cards that came out during the set that aren't commanders. And I'm gonna lead off with a very strong one Outpost Siege. For three to red, we get a r- enchantment that says, As Outpost Siege enters the battlefield, choose cons or dragons. If you choose cons, at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. Until end of turn, you may play that card. If you choose dragons, whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, Outpost Siege deals one damage to target creature or player. There are niche situations where I do choose dragons, but for the most part, I play it to draw that extra card. I pl- play it in, uh, I probably would have stuck it in the more decks if I actually had more copies before I did my great playset purge. But Outpost Siege, see, I put it in my Ib deck, I put it in Aurelia, at the very least. It's a great enchantment. It actually just draws you an extra card in red. And I love that I can see what it, it reveals, play my turn around that one card, because you don't want to just leave that card out for value. And it helps me want to make push the mana curve down in the decks that I have. Because if it's too expensive, then you're going to spend your entire turn casting it, or you might not even be able to cast it at all. If it's something relatively cheap, you're guaranteed to be able to cast it. Plus, you can still do some other stuff and make use of those extra cards in your hand. But it's also got that... That um, that almost dictation, like, hey, if you don't actually play this card or you play the land that you got off this, then you just lose a draw, the a, um, the card that you would have drawn that turn. And it kind of changes, adds a little bit of, uh, not necessarily randomness, but injects a certain amount of fun into my turn, where it's like, okay, I have an idea of what I want to do, but oh, here I flipped over this card with the apple seed, and well, I don't want to lose it. So let's go ahead and figure out how we can remake our turn around this one card. And that message just draws a card in red, and how much I love that. Yeah, like, that, that effect is wonderful in red. And the other end of the spectrum is without Siege, if you do go with the, when a creature leaves the battlefield, deal one damage to a creature or a player. If you have the board set up correctly, you can kill people. So it's nice. it's a nice card with where it's like, yes, it's a draw card in red. That also has a kind of a situational win condition attached onto it. Yeah. So the only the only deck that I know chooses dragons most of the time is Norn the Wary because it's pretty damn good. Right. Or like if you put it like say like a goblin's deck and you have like a goblin that has the ability that says something like sack a goblin creature you control or sacrifice a creature and get some type of effect or whatever. Yeah, like a token deck you can play goblin out. bombardment. It actually just turns yeah. every creature into a shock. Yeah, you could just put that down, slap this down, just sack off all your creatures, and then just start killing people. Or at the very least, kill off, like, one of their bigger threats. Kill off a few goblins, kill off some of their smaller threats, send the goblins in to attack, and if they die, 
then they get to do an extra couple of points of damage divided however you want. You know, it kind of it, it's a nice little balance depending on what you want from it. But you'll probably be playing it with a card draw effect all nine times out of ten. Also, can I say that I love the foil versions of the Siege cards? Because I had that really cool watermark where it's uh, lenticular. If you look at it from one side, it's the cons block. But if you look at it from the other side, it's the dragon's block symbol. It's actually just beautiful. So, Clay, what's your card? Um, my first card will also be out of the Um But it's going to be the white one, Citadel Siege, which uh, costs two white-white. So it's a little bit different mana cost. Um, of course, when, as it enters the battlefield, you choose cons or dragons. If you choose cons, I, I'm going to refresh myself on which one is which, because they're both actually really powerful. Um, if you choose con, let's see if I can even find it on here. Uh, at the beginning of combat on your turn, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature you control. This is the one that I usually use in something like Dagatar. Um, in my Brago deck, I used to play... Well, I do still play, because I still have that deck together. I haven't played it in a while. But it's really cool because you can flicker between the different modes by flickering the permanent. So I would play both Monastery Siege and Citadel Siege, um, because it's awesome to be able to flicker between them. But the one that I usually used on Citadel Siege was uh, Dragon's Mode, which is at the beginning of combat on each opponent's turn, tap target creature that player controls. So... If your opponent's playing Voltron and they don't have Hexproof, uh, you just look at them and you say, Hey, uh, fuck that guy. Um, you're not going to attack with him. And it's just great for shutting people down. I forget what the context was. Oh, man, I'm trying to remember. So this. are you actually trying to remember the context in which you were using that card or the text that comes with choosing cons? Um, the context of... Sounds like a mixture of both. Oh, yeah, I, I was playing some really derpy... Uh, some really derpy games against what was basically a Voltron deck, and I found Citadel Siege, and I was like, wait a minute. This actually just basically wins me the game because he doesn't have Hexproof or Pro-White. Uh, Citadel Siege on Dragons tap down your dude every turn. So, yeah. Yeah, it's especially prevalent when you're playing against people who have the new Ulamog in their deck. You know, you, de- you never realize just how powerful locking down something that needs to attack to win can be. It actually just is. Yeah. Okay, so as an aside, guys, which one of the five dragon designs was your favorite? Because for me, it was actually the Mardu dragons. I really love, you know, the whole spine action that they had going on, the feathered wings and the fact that they have the the uh, the four wing thing going on. I mean, I love some antler dragons, but when you look at Outpost Siege and you look at that brilliant four wing, feather wing th- thing just blowing up shit, that, that's really majestic. I don't really know. Uh, I would have to say that if I had to pick a design, I probably would go with the Antler Dragons. Because the Antler Dragons, every time I look at the artwork for them, in my mind, I just imagine, like, it's Christmas time and Santa's reindeer has all been taking steroids. <laughs> I guess I would have to say either the, uh, the Mardu ones or the Ojutai ones, just because of the feathery look on both of them. It's just different from what you'd expect from dragons, because they're usually all scaly and not feathery. Yeah, but that's, that's one of the reasons I kind of don't like them, because I like if I want feathers on them, on my big flyer, I kind of want it to be like a bird or a phoenix or something. It's just kind of like one of those things where a dragon with feathers seems like a, a, a decoy, a facade, in a way. 
It's like you look up in the air and you see like a giant flying creature. And you're like, oh, look, it's an eagle. Oh, my God, it's not. It's a fucking dragon. Just <laughs> seems kind of like unnecessary hiding. Where I don't think dragons need to hide. I mean, you know, a dragon should just be proud of being a big flying lizard and just wreck shop. I don't know. I would just say evolution. If you evolved feathers and you're a dragon, I would make. I personally have the assumption that it has to be because you're trying to hide the fact that you're a dragon until the last minute when people realize you're a fucking dragon. Well then, so let's go on to our next card, Calvin. You were able to come up with a card for this. Uh, well, I know of a card that I want to talk about, and chances are I'll probably fuck this up. But hey, who cares? It's a hero's blade. It's, I believe, it's three colorless mana. It's an artifact. It's two. It's two colorless mana. It's an artifact. Uh, It gives equipped a creature plus three, plus two, and it has an equip cost. It doesn't matter because I've never had to pay it because it has an ability on it that says whenever a legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may equip Hero's Blade to that creature. As far as I'm concerned, this is probably one of the best cards that have come out of this set for Commander. Because whenever you cast your Commander, they're automatically getting a 3-2 pump, which turns your 1-1 Commanders into 4-3s. So, so you got Reach to Redeem. Uh, er, let's okay. see. Um, turn 1, Land, Soul Ring, Hero's Blade. Turn 2, Land, um, let, let me see if I get this... Land, Ashland, the Pilgrim. Um, land, Sigh of the Shinobi. <laughs> Lightning Greaves, Isamaru. Um, Heroes Blade and Sigh equip. Equip boots, swing for five. Yep. On turn two. And now Isamaru, and now Isamaru is smacking for five on turn two. Seems so extra. It might seem extra, but it's nice to be able to know that, like, that commander that you play that's a 1-1 one, one, that people give you shit for that you're never going to kill with commander damage now actually has a fighting chance of just killing someone with commander damage just by showing up. I mean, you know, it, it's the little things that impress me, and this is one of those little things that impress me. Shut the fuck up, Nobby. You're talking more <laughs> in this episode than I am, goddammit. <laughs> Alright, so, next card. We're going to talk about the Flame Rush Rider. Ooh, this is another one that's kind of snuck in there. So the Flame Rush Rider is a... Don't you mean slipped in there? I mean, this ain't the tip we're talking about. We're talking about going balls deep. Ah. So Flame Rush Rider is a 3-3 for 4 and a red. Human Warrior. Whenever Flame Rush Rider attacks, put a token on the, to the battlefield. Tapped and attacking. That's a copy of another target attacking creature. Exile the token at the end of combat. And what's this? He's got dash for two in red red. So this card has just been all kinds of stupid value. I saw it in the rotisserie drafts I did last year with Tom and the guys, where Flame Rush Rider was making free copies of Puppeteer Click, and that was stupid. I've been using him in my Master Wanderer deck, where every most every creature has some sort of ETB trigger, and that's stupid. Any the, the Flame Rush Rider in an aggressive value deck is just stupid. Like, you go ahead and you swing a Solemn Senior Lacrum, and it's like, well, what are they going to do? Not block one of those Solemns and just take four? Sometimes they do, but then usually you just have a sack outlet to get rid of that Solemn Senior Lacrum. You're playing red, you have ways to sacrifice artifacts. I personally like to think that this was the prototype design for Blade of Selves. 
Maybe. Like this is was this was Wizards playing around with is this perk is this okay? Can we actually get away with doing this type of effects? And they liked it, so they made the artifact that just goes everywhere. Yep, and now over a thousand years in the present, we have a sword. So, Clay, what's your next card? Uh, my next card is the card that actually inspired me to build an entire deck. Um, Mastery of the Unseen is a white enchantment out of this set. Uh, costs one and a white, so it's pretty cheap. Um, whenever a permanent you control is turned face up, you gain one life for each creature you control. So, in a block full of uh, morph stuff and full of manifest stuff that you can turn face up, it works pretty well. Um, and then it has this little ability, uh, three and a white, manifest the top card of your library. So, in an environment like, uh, say, limited, where anything that can reliably produce bodies, like, say, mobilization or sacred mesa, are incredibly powerful, this one is absolutely insane. You pay four mana, you make a 2-2 that you could potentially turn face up to make it even bigger. Um, however, the first ability on this card doesn't really matter as much, because at least when I play it, I'm playing it with Brago. And for anyone who is unfamiliar, Brago is a 2-4 for a uh, four mana with flying that when he punches a player in the face, you get to blink any number of non-land permanents you control. So... I manipulate the top card of my library. I put, say, maybe, uh, I don't know, a, uh, Tezzeret the Seeker on the top of my library. I manifest it with Mastery. And then I smack someone with Brago and blink it out. And it comes back face up and it's ready to activate an ability immediately. Or, say, I put an Inkwell Leviathan face down. Or a Blazing Archon face down. Any number of giant things. It's a sweet card, and then if you're playing, like, a morph theme with white in it, you can just gain a ton of life off of stuff being turned face up. The card is sweet, and only costs two mana. So, that sounds stupid. Only slightly. So how often are you getting... How how often are you getting the life gain off of that? Uh, depends on whether I have morph dudes or not. Like... Uh, occasionally turning stuff face up that you've manifested. Usually, uh, it's just like a willbender or a spell snatcher, that sort of thing. It doesn't happen too often. Oh, and, uh, speak one, one other thing that you get really nice, uh, value off of when blinking stuff is usually when you put, you know, maybe, uh, say, lands face down off of manifest, you get to blink those and they come back face up ready to go. Yeah. Okay, so... So, you know what, Clay, why don't you go ahead and get this one out of the way first? It's the card that shouldn't have been, right? Yes. Um, speaking of manifesting and blue always getting off-color stuff, um, we got a weird little instant called Reality Shift out of this set. And Reality Shift is a card that really honestly shouldn't exist because it's on the spectrum of cards that exile creatures with fairly low downsides. Uh, this card says, one in a blue instant. Exile target creature. Its, it's controller manifests the top card of his or her library. So it's kind of like a weird, uh, a weird pondrify or rapid hybridization and that it gets something out of the way, and turns it into something potentially smaller. However, in this case, it costs two mana instead of one, and it makes the dude smaller, but it also exiles, as opposed to destroy like the other two. Mm. This card is batshit crazy. It's really good. You stick it on a nice front scepter? Yeah. 
All right, so it passes the Azure Inceptor test. I feel, I feel like the... And it's mono blue. It's mono blue uh, removal that uh, is not uh, balanced. I'm out. <laughs> so I feel like this card actually would have been fine if it just turned the card face down. Mm, now that it's would be, that would be interesting in a way that they would still be able to turn it face up, but they would have to commit the extra mana. Um, if it also simply destroyed and not exiled, I would also be more fine with that. Like, uh, um, destroyed bothers me on a certain level. Like, it, it's the Pongify thing. Like, I'm fine, actually fine with Pongify and Rabbit Hybridization. Destroy, it, it, it doesn't feel as correct to me to try and get that flavor across. Fair. Like, like there, I, there's some weird awkwardness with this. Yeah, in terms of just, like, mechanics and flavor. But I felt, yeah. I feel like if it had just turned the card face down, and turn it into a card that you can't actually morph face up, it would be. Fair. Just, like, turn target creature face down. Yeah, it but... It becomes a 2-2. Two, two. Yep. Um, they can only turn it face up if it has a morph cost. If, um... Actually, I, w- I even would have been fine if with a writer clause saying that they can turn it face up with its actual cost. Or something awkward like, uh... Put target creature on the top of its owner's library, that player manifests the top card of their library. Because then you get weird stuff with, like, Unearth. Yeah. But, I don't know. It's strange. It's strange. It's really efficient, though. It's really great. It's just great top-tier removal to have in any blue deck. And it's an uncommon! Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ! card is sweet. Alright, so, I've got one last card to talk about here before we get to the real big one from this set. Shamanic Revelation. For three green green, it's a sorcery that says, draw a card for each creature you control. And hey! If any of those creatures have four power or greater, then you gain four life for each one of those. So I already play it in token decks because it's essentially a collective unconscious that costs one yeah. less. But the random outside of just gaining life is far and away from being insignificant. That I've won games just from reinforcing my life total and drawing the, those cards. And it's gotten to the point where it's like, okay, we can kill him, we can kill him, and oh. Oh, he had a revelation? His revelation is that we can't fucking beat him. Okay, we're done. So, really love the Sermonic Revelation. Really encourages you to make, to either fill your board with just really big individual creatures, or to come up with really big anthem effects. You know, just collective blessing is usually enough to get you there. Yeah. Alright, so the big one that we're going to be talking about today, though, to end things off. Is it Warden of the First Tree? It is not Warden of the First Tree. It is... Is it Soulfire Grandmaster? It is not Soulfire Grandmaster. Hmm. Is it one of the commands? It, those are next set. Oh. We are, we're talking about the Ugin. The, ah, the Planeswalker. Yes, the Ugin. So, the Ugin, the Spirit Dragon. He is eight mana. You can pay any mana for that because it's completely generic. Planeswalker Ugin comes into play with seven loyalty counters. For plus two, the Ugin deals three damage to target creature or player. So you got your ghost fire. Minus X. Exile each permanent with converted mana cost X or less. That's one or more colors. Minus 10. You gain seven life. Draw seven cards. Then put the seven permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. And in case you are wondering, there was in fact a very special pre-release promo version that you could get from the Ugin's Fate Packs. If you want one, it's going to be $145 TCG mid. And regular ones are still, like, creeping 40, upwards. Like, 40 to 50 bucks right now. Yeah. That is crazy. 
I mean, it's... Well, you have to remember, he's very similar to Karn. Exactly. This he's, is a, a, he's a planeswalker. He's colorless, so he goes in any deck. And he has a whole bunch of effects attached to him that are actually really significant that affect the game. Now, see, here's the thing. This is Ugin as a pre-Manywalker. And we had those back when we got the Commander Precons. But this is the first one that feels like it has the power of a pre-Manywalker. Yeah. Like, you... The fact that he is purely colorless and has the sort of power that he has is just crazy. Like, this, this card easily wins games. Ah, oh, so hard. Like, if he comes down next to wipe the board and then no one has any answer to him, the game's just done. I was playing a game just last Tuesday where the the guy just had stupid amounts of mana. He goes, okay, all is dust? Okay, I can counter that one. Okay, Ugin? Oh, God damn it. I just, I'll, yeah. I'll scoop now. Like, ugh. And the fact that he exiles all those permanents. Yeah. That's the real backbreaker. If it was just destroy or even in all this dust where we all get rid of them, okay, that's fine. I can try and get those back later. But no, they're just exiled. It's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. I'm ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Completely. Like, Ugin lives up to everything that we were hoping that Ugin would be. There was a quote-unquote leaked version earlier that year. It it ended up being completely fake. And thank God, because that thing actually kind of looks horrible compared to... And this thing is just... It has the splashiness. It has the pizzazz that you want for a marquee card. It's at the hat. I'm trying to remember what the leaked one did. It had Nothing. It, it had a negative cost that turned a card face down, and it says you turned it into a morph. But it had the ghost flame effect. So, yeah, Ugin, really, really good. If you have one, hold on to it. I expect him to be kind of like Karn, where just any deck is going to want to have him. He'll make great trade fodder. Whew, got to... I did, fortunately, so I'm very happy about that. Actually, I had two of them at one point, but I ended up selling one. Okay, so, out of this entire set, I would have to say that the cards that are of probably going to end up being of significance after this, now that the set's gone, and anything that we're probably going to care about would be the clan leaders, right? The five legends there. The dragons, potentially. The sieges, right? Mm-hmm. And Ugin. More or less. And then the vast majority of the set just kind of becomes cute to look at, but I don't really think much of it is something that's really going to affect or do anything. I mean, they are, the, they are like a handful of cards out of the set that would probably end up working or become um, important. It's like the Monastery Master or something like that. There's some other things. Like, there's the Archfiend Depravity, which makes everyone sack their board until they only have two creatures. Oh, right. I, the, I, I found the shitty fake Ugin. There's the Team Receiver Ooh, Tooth. Tell me about the shitty fake Ugin. Uh, shitty fake Ugin costs nine, comes in with seven. Um, plus three, deals three damage target creature or player. Minus two, turn target permanent face down. Minus 15, cast any number of Planeswalker cards you own from outside the game without paying their mana costs. That was the shitty thing. So, let's see here. So, the mana cost wasn't that far off. The loyalty was on point, right? Yeah, the plus three. And what was the what was his um, plus ability? Um, and what did it do? It was plus three for Ghostfire. Which isn't that far off. I mean... Our Ugin is plus two for deal, deal three damage, but it's not Ghostfire. Yeah. 
So it's better. The one that goes to ults faster for just three damage as opposed to colorless ghostfire. Actually, how do you use colorless? So it is ghostfire. For the shitty human? Uh, minus two turn target permanent face down. Yeah, so the minus ability isn't on, wasn't there, and then the other one's off. So, let's see. They, we already knew it was Ugin. The mana cost, not that far off. The loyalty, not that far off. The plus, pretty much right there. I'm on, uh, you know, they put an extra counter on it, but you know, pretty close. And then the rest of it wasn't really in there, but still. So even for a fake version of it, you know, it might be crap compared to the actual one, but, you know, I'd still say fairly close with, you know, just speculation and guessing. All right. I mean, so, you know, not close enough, but... All right, that about does it for our review. Wait, 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 wait. Yep, did you have one last I've card? actually... I've got one last card, and because I've actually finally gotten a chance to get home and actually open up my laptop now, and I can actually see shit worth talking about. Um, the, card, the final card for the night that I'm going to talk about would be the Monastery Mentor, which is two colors and a white, and it's a 2-2, and it's a human monk, and it has prowess. And it has, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a 1-1 white monk creature token with prowess onto the battlefield. Now, this creature is actually going to be is something I consider to still be pretty irrelevant, because if you're playing an equipment deck, you cast an equipment, and the equipment shows up with a soldier. So I kind of envision them. I don't think of them as monks. I like to think of it as a knight, and they're like squires that are showing up bringing the weapon, as opposed to, you know, the actual, what's actually happening is the weapon and bringing Squire. But still, and then on top of that, the tokens also themselves have prowess, so you can potentially still end up having bigger creatures just for playing the same things that got you the creatures in the first place. So even if the mentor gets dealt with, you still have tokens that still kind of feel like, you know, the mentor is still around. I wonder how much this thing runs now in, in, in cost. Uh, let's check with that real quick. I think it was only like... Oh, he's got... He's up to 20. He's up to $20 now. Mm-hmm. Yep, it wasn't that long ago that they were closer to like 10 or 11. Yep. Okay, so now we're done with our 99 tag. Guys, I'm looking forward to get the coming back for the Dragon set. But for now, it's time for us to take this to the outro. So let's go ahead and wrap this up, because Ashley and I need to go pick up our badges before it gets too late. So what, no dangly bits? No, well, not with, not this time, unfortunately. Aww, the yeah. listeners are going to be so disappointed. They would have been even more disappointed okay. if I had just upped and said, nope, can't come, convention stuff, fuck y'all. This has been Commander Cast episode 232. I want to go ahead and thank everyone for coming out today. Calvin, Clay, thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, no problem. Uh, no problem. All right, so at this point in the show... Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Wait, what? Jinx, Clay owes me a Coke. What? No. I'm yep. pretty sure Clay's going to get in trouble if he starts buying Coke. Yep. Clay owes me some Coke. Go get my blow, boy. Okay, so let's go ahead and head out contact information. So, Calvin, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? Uh, if people want to reach me, and I have no idea why you'd want to reach me after hearing this particular episode, seeing as I had almost nothing to contribute outside of, like, truck noises, you can reach me over on Twitter, at Captain Red Zone, or you can hit me up with an email in Gmail, at CaptainRedZone at gmail.com. Or you can go over to the Commander Cast Facebook page, post something up there. Myself, William, and the Waffle Cone 
are the main Commander cast members who go through there and check it out. Uh, Clay, would you like to be a Commander cast Facebook page admin as well? I guess if you want to. All right, Clay, people want to begin. Let's see here. Uh, for any listeners out there that want to find... Hey, if people out there want to listen, they can also find Commander Cast on Stitcher. I just want to make sure I throw that out there. Because I don't know if William has it in the show now, so I'm not sure if he'll do it. Uh, no, I need to change that. So let's see. Let's see. I'll make it. I'll make a note of it later. Clay, Anyways, co- contact him. Um, if people want to get in contact with me, I am on Reddit and Gmail and Twitter as EDH Panda. Uh, my girlfriend Mallory and I also occasionally stream on Twitch as Pandel Packa. It's down there in the show notes. We also have a Twitter if you want to follow us for updates on what we're doing. All right. If you want to get in touch with me, you can follow me on at LouRam1409 on the Twitters. You can also email me WIEHernandez at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with Mark, his email is in the show notes. Go and get, get in touch with him. Set up some deck filler spotlight. Kyle already told you how you can reach us here at Commander Cast proper. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes and we'll read them off on air. Calvin, can we get five-star reviews on Stitcher? Not that I know of. Man, if Can you good. get reviews at all? I haven't seen any. In fact, now you mention it, I'm going to go click on Stitcher now and see what our listening audience base looks like so far. Just uh, out of boredom and curiosity. Just for that one episode. All right. So, if you like what we do here, and you don't want to just leave us a review, consider supporting us on Patreon. Some of you are donating already, and that's fantastic. Right now, we're just in tip jar mode, but we have plans to come up with additional content to, you know, incentivize you guys to donate just a little bit more. But, hey, if you don't have a whole lot, we'll take the tip. So, if you don't want to give us a review, you can give us the tip. And just a tip. But if a little extra happens to slip in, we will not complain. Nope. And a big thanks to everyone who helps out with the Commander Cast Network. You're all fantastic people. And I love all the things that you guys are coming up with, doing, and all these great ideas. It's going to be a great 2016. Music for our show is the X Meets Heavy Metal series by 331 Rock. We'll see you next week with more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's get it! I will say that I'm having a lot of fun at my at working full time at, at the store. A lot of what I do is just filling out online orders and sending them out. But I'm also like self in charge of handling the store's Facebook page and setting up all the events and all the social media stuff, and that's been a lot of fun. And hey, Clues just finished recording card advantage. <laughs> Tell Clues, I said, what's up? Let me click the Commander Cast metric. Let's see where we rank on Stitcher at the moment. I know that our Stitcher ranking is going up.
Yay, we're no longer in the two thousand in the twenty thousands. Because right. initially when we started off, we were set like at 19,348 or something. But now our current Stitcher ranking is 12,186. We're getting up there. Yep, slowly but surely we're ticking up. Hey, the beginning part of a Pokemon journey is always my favorite part. You get to try all the janky-ass vendor trash. It's so grindy, though. Only if you make it. I love going through the opening ones with, like, your Pidgey Birds... And whatever the Rattata of the generation is. So grindy. Okay. So, right, so, so, here, so just some numbers forever. for you. So, so just some numbers for you. Okay. Our downloads currently to Stitcher are 22. So there's 22 various episodes between Commander Cast, Rivals Duel, The Stack, Deck Builder Spotlight, and Journey to Somewhere. Or Journey to whatever that is that William does. It's Journey to Somewhere, right? Yeah, Journey Somewhere, that's going to be replaced with the future project that I have working on. Right. So currently, between all of the various podcasts we have available, there's 22 uh, that's currently going on to Stitcher. We have a total listened time of 1,081 minutes. We have a total of 14 shows that have actually been listened to. Nice. Uh, the average completion rate is about 53.6. So that means about half of those shows are being listened to, and the other half are either being played, and then either they stop listening or pause or don't continue, or don't finish the whole episode, which is fair. It's only 22 episodes, and, you know, if you don't want to hear us talking about this, or if it's a dangly bit episode, I understand why you might not want to listen. But, you know, still. Yep, still. Uh, my favorite commander is to drive by. Uh... I hate being in the streets. Oh, let's see here. If I had to pick a favorite commander for this week, my favorite commander for the week, I... So, Clay. Yeah? Recently, I was thinking about potentially making an entire episode where I replace all of the intro music with wrestling music theme songs. Gosh. That sounds hilarious. I've picked my three cards. One of them should not exist. Guess which, guess which one. I'm going to go with Master of the Unseen. Uh, you would be wrong, good sir. Mm. That's good that you want to talk about Master of the Unseen, because that was one of March picks, too. And Lost Calvin. He might just be looking at the thingy. Is that the baby ukulele? Yeah. So majestic. I actually got a foil Alesha as a Christmas present. Thanks. It is. I just love that character so much. All right, so how are we going to divide up the commanders? Clay, I'm going to assume you want Dagatar and Tassiker? Yeah, I can take those two. All right, I'll be talking about Yasova and Kevin. Would you prefer talking about Shu Yun or Alesha? Or should I just... He did. Or should I just introduce them? He did. He did it again. He did it again? All right. Then Roger's going to have to keep carrying on, and he'll come back in when he comes back in. He'll be back eventually. All right. Mm. Oh, he was almost there. Almost where? Here. Almost. I'm sorry, I can't I can't deal with all this extensive, like tiny, whiny, time traveling shenanigans stuff. That's myself doesn't get reception in the past. Because it didn't exist then. That's okay. We'll go ahead and we'll just keep talking. So I'll go ahead and lead us into the intro and then we'll have Clay talk about Dagata. Alrighty. Did you have anything you wanted to say about Shuya and Calvin? I've got a lot I want to say, but apparently I'm stuck in the middle of rush hour, which apparently has gone from 5 p.m. to 
Damn. Is that a Jersey thing? I have no fucking clue. Normally, there's not that many partners out here on this on street at this time. I'm used to just sitting here waiting for the damn bus. But apparently, for some reason, at this particular moment in the night, everybody is like, hey, look, Calvin's recording. Let's go down this street. Well, all right. We'll have to get Calvin's responses at some other point once he's away from all of these cars. Hold on a second. Hey, just go. I'll talk about Shoot Young after this pile of cars goes away. A pile of cars? How is it even moving if it's a pile of cars? That's a good question. I mean... I don't know how to answer it. I mean, I can see one of those, like, big trucks that carry cars, but that's not really a pile. It's more like a... It's a pile. It, it, it's cars on a shelf, piled on top of each other, just with a shelf in between. That's not really so, a pile, though. That's more... So, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> so the one thing I want to say about shooting on real quick before another fucking car shows up and William messes around and messes me up with traffic... Which apparently is now about to happen. Thank you, William. <laughs> so I control the traffic flow now. Is that what we're saying? No, you don't control the traffic flow. I came back on so I could actually be able to say something when traffic was gone, and William just doesn't know how to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Here's the point. The value. See, the value is uh, real. Uh, what, what is the um, name for this wedge again? Uh, Soltai. Hold on a second. I have to imagine that rather than doing this because there are cars going by, he's just taking a long time to sneeze. <laughs> uh, fuck you, William. <laughs> I mean, I mean, on the plus side, I am finally caught up on Undertale's story. I still have not played it. Um. I am planning to. Do you like bullet hells? Um, like, I'm okay. Okay, then you may. I, I'm going to be playing it for the sake of playing it, because I feel like, because of everything that everyone's saying about it, I have to play it at some point. It's a cheap get. Like, Just I think to you experience get, it. I think you can get it on Steam for like 10, do- 10 bucks. I almost a friend gave it to me on a flash drive. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, uh, is it like a RAM ROM that you get? Anyway. I think it's just the, the executable file. Okay, that might work. Because it's, it's one of those really meta games. Yeah. Like not. It's not gonna be. I don't think it's gonna be like Game Dev Tycoon, where if you pirate the game, you your company loses to pirates. No, um, no, it's not that bad. My friends, my friends have been playing it off of this file, so it should be fine. No, I just mean like the game itself is actually kind of meta. Like during the there was actually a point in the final boss fight where my no, girl. Don't, don't, don't no, I, I, no, this is no, this is not spoilers. It, she yeah. got a she got a message from uh one of her friends during that boss fight. And the fight itself was so meta that she wasn't actually sure if it was actually a real message or it was the game screwing with her. That's how meta okay. this game can get sometimes. Damn. It's actually a really short, short one. Uh, I can't really handle bullet hells. Like, I, I tried playing it through the first few levels and it was okay, but I, I don't play games well when the objective is just dodge the whole time. Cause I was, tr- cause I was trying to do a pacifist run. So there's no killing, there's no fighting, no anything like that. It's actually just bullet hell with some puzzles in there, and I kind of just quit and started watching a Let's Play. Fair. It it was a, it's a good story though. I like the characters, I like the story. Uh, let me know what you think of Alfie when you get to there. I don't know when I'll get to playing it, but it's on my to-do list. Yeah, I was saying that for a while.
MetalGas.com.